0: many facets of God's love for us. Today, we're going to shift the lens in the prodigal parable to see the older son and another dimension of God's radical affection. Welcome to the Sifted Wheat Podcast with Leslie Lamb, a counselor by profession, a minister of truth, and a lover of people. This is a safe place where she sets a path for others to learn how to move through hard seasons with confidence and grace encouraging your faith, empowering your choices, and challenging your perceptions through the Word, the wisdom from years of counseling others, and her own experience of being sifted. Here's Leslie. There are many facets of God's love for us. Today, we're going to shift the lens in the prodigal parable to see the older son and another dimension of his radical affection. Last time, we talked about the love of the father towards the reckless son. And since then, I have heard beautiful definitions of God's love, like overwhelming, immense, indescribable, and merciful. Yes, all of those are great words to describe what many experience when in the darkest, shame-filled moments, God meets us. There is another love, maybe the most overlooked, and that is sustaining love, the kind of love that is with us, that isn't dramatic or showy, that doesn't rush in with arms flung wide, but simply stays and comforts and nurtures, that stands guard over us and protects us in such a way we are tempted to believe it wasn't there at all. It's often clouded in self-righteousness and self-sufficiency. Where life has gone so smoothly, we almost forget we need God. Not that we would ever say that out loud, but it's expressed in our jealousy over another's testimony, or a sense that we don't carry the more quote-unquote important spiritual gifts, or our story doesn't matter because our faith was formed at a young age and our transformation wasn't radical enough. Where we grew up in Christian families, had food in our bellies and shoes on our feet, but yet. We never felt like we truly belonged. So whether we mean to or not, we feel rejected or abandoned at times. When we hear others talk about their conversion experiences, we doubt and wonder if they're really changed or is this an emotional high that will end and they will just go back to what they were doing just outside of a pigsty. Maybe some of those thoughts were going through the older brother's head as he stood in the field, shovel in hand, fuming as he heard the music and laughter in the distance. That brings us to the love of the father for the older brother in the same story, the one who stayed and worked and resented the celebration. A syndrome is a characteristic combination of opinions, emotions, or behaviors. In this case, the older brother syndrome is a combination of resentment, judgment, and self-righteousness, and we see this all over the place. We see it in the world around us in social media rants, in virtue signaling, in the rolling of eyes when someone is selected over another, or in the feigned excitement over another's accomplishments or gained titles. You know, like when someone that is younger or isn't as experienced but knows the right people and lands a book deal that you once hustled for, oops, my older brother syndrome is showing. Yep, me too. It happens in the hearts of the best of us. And the root of it isn't really anger at the person that is rewarded, though it can often feel like it. But if we honestly dig deeper... The frustration is most often rooted in, but rarely focused on, God the Father. When Jesus is telling the story, he is surrounded by people. Those who are feeling unworthy and those who were pre-selected. The religious leaders of the time questioning if this is the Messiah. Why is he hanging out with those deemed sinners and outcasts? The point is, Jesus is well aware that the older brother is listening, and he's taking that moment through two parables to draw them in and remind them this isn't a selection process, to choose one over the other, but to bring them all in. See, those hovering in the crowd, judging the sinners and tax collectors, would have related to the older brother's response. All these years I have slaved for you and never once. They would have felt those words. But Jesus wasn't saying it to slap them in the face, but to relate to them, to say, I know you feel offended and rejected, but I'm here for you too. And love is captured in the words towards the older son from the father as well. Son, you are always with me said the father, and everything I have is yours. He didn't scold the son for feeling what he was feeling or dismiss his rant as insignificant. No, he pointed him back to truth. For the father, the son's staying was about nearness and connection. For the son, it was about work and feeling rejected. The son points out his self-sufficiency and what he has been doing. And the response is that all along, the father was near and his provision available. He was sustaining him, but the son was focused on what needed to be done and what the younger brother had not stuck around to do. What we miss is that both brothers had a shame-based response. The younger son responded in shame and determined that he would return home with his tail between his legs, willing to be a servant and grovel. And the older son reacted in shame also by blaming the father, resenting the brother, and isolated in the field, assumed love had to be earned. In saying I'm always here, the father was reminding him that whether he engaged him or not, the father was near. And the second truth, and all I have is yours, was a reminder that it still is. The father wasn't holding out then, and he isn't holding out now. I am here, he said, and what I have is yours. The older brother syndrome is destructive, it will eat you up inside and make you think God is holding out on you. It keeps you from seeing the nearness and provision of God for yourself, and resenting when you see it for others. It keeps you striving instead of resting and receiving what God freely gives. Recently at work, we were talking, and one of my co-workers mentioned that someone she knew didn't like the verse that he leaves the 99 in search of the 1. It wasn't the first time I heard that. It's something others have felt and expressed having issue with, too. But you know why we don't like that verse? One, we don't read it through the lens of a shepherd's culture. And two, it reminds us of our own fear and sense of rejection and abandonment. Only that's not what Jesus was getting at. The people questioning his preoccupation with outcasts and sinners were the 99, settled and provided for in a space of abundance, But the one who was just as much a part of the flock got lost, was missing. And the care of the shepherd was not just for the individual sheep. But in its missing, the integrity of the whole flock was compromised. In other words, their sense of safety and threat of risk would be in question because the missing sheep would have brought confusion to them all. This wasn't a story to refuse one and accept the other. It wasn't even just about welcoming them in. Jesus wasn't just saying, hey, open up the space for others. But in essence, he was also saying, because they deserve to be here and your journey in peace depends on their return. Any more than dropping your child off at one space to go and find where the other has gone to is an expression of abandonment and rejection from you. As a parent, you understand this, right? As a child, you might be confused and insecurities and fear might fill your head. Would they run after me like that? We might ask. Would they care if I was missing? And if they were bold enough to express those fears when you return, I imagine or I would hope you wouldn't dismiss them, but meet them in that space and grab them up and love and remind them you are there for them both. You are glad you have them both. One is not more important than the other, but one was lost, and now he or she is found. The family is now back together, and the flock is no longer compromised. The father didn't suddenly have no need for the older son or not value him. Rather, the father loves unity and celebration. He wants the older and the younger son to both see their value and his provision. It isn't either or with God, like it often feels in the world and in life. Throughout his words, you will see that very often he is both and. You see, the father didn't happen upon the older brother. He wasn't just walking about and, oh, there's my older son. No, he went after him. It says that he implored and pleaded with the son to join them. The father saw that he too was missing and was calling him back into love and provision and a feast that was waiting. Jesus wasn't walking away from the ones that are his. He wasn't replacing one with the other. He was acknowledging the value of all. Over and over, Jesus prioritizes value, then repentance. They, like the older brother, were focused on what they were doing wrong, what the sinners and the tax collectors stood for how they had been looked down on and they were seen as unfit. But Jesus was removing that shame and pointing to purpose. How could they change if they weren't allowed to follow the good shepherd? Let this be an encouragement to us, that the Father sees and loves us all, each in our spaces. Because with him, sin is sin. And the pride and self-righteousness of the older brother was just as hideous to see as the lust and recklessness of the younger. We don't have to be split or jealous or resentful. We can walk side by side and enjoy the provision of the father. We can rejoice that what was lost is found and what was separated has come home. And here's the thing. The story of the father and the sons is the journey of another son, one connected to the narrative on all sides, and we will get into that next time. But for now, I invite you to rest and not lose sight of God's sustaining you.